This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Our poor deer taking a beating. I don't know what's uh I guess just probably a little unfortunate side of things, but yeah, they uh hopefully we can get this out of here out of us soon. Like a couple weeks isn't too bad. It's a lot better than six to eight. It's not ideal, but other guys are getting to play and and they're doing a good job for us. Uh, so if you go through this, it's better to go through it now than come playoff time. You know, we made this comment jokingly a couple of weeks ago. You know, we kept saying, oh, once the Lightning get everybody back, this is going to be real fun to watch this team and the forwards, the defense, the goaltending. But you know, like half jokingly, partner, we said that might not be the case this year as every team is dealing with something. And yeah. uh, the Lightning, we find out yesterday that uh, Zach Bogosian is going to be out a couple of weeks, and it's a lower body injury. Chernak, big question mark, as John Cooper put it, and Palat is still considered day-to-day, although expected to return at some point on this three-game trip, and we'll see how it plays out. It is Power Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. I am Greg Lanelli, Dave Michigan on the other end. Game tonight, Lightning and King, Steve Versnick producing. Hit us up on Twitter, as I said, at Bolts Radio. Special guest coming up, partner. Yeah. In our next segment. Exciting. Yeah, we uh, had a chance to record or tape, as say, uh, Julian Breezewell, Lightning General Manager, yesterday. And let's put it this way. I think we asked him some questions that maybe he wasn't asked from the pool of reporters that were privy to a sit-down interview with him and then that shared that with the public through their their website or their publication but um, I think people are going to enjoy that and I'm actually looking forward to hearing the interview again yeah and then we'll talk about it of course on the backside the injuries though they yeah. they kind of just pile up and look for Bogosian you feel for him Dave because this is he's had maybe a been... really bad luck year with injuries it's kind of been a bugaboo Chernak. as is Chernak I know you know, with Bogosian, it's tough because you feel like it's been a little bit of a bugaboo throughout his career, uh, certainly in Buffalo. And then, you know, when he came back and played for the Lightning the first time around was uh, such a big part of what he of what this team was trying to accomplish. Uh, your depth is going to be tested. And I know a, a topic of conversation yesterday, Dave, was just, you know, where are they on that right side? You know, at this point right now with some issues but I think this is life in the NHL and Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm concerned about it but it certainly you know puts a little more pressure on that back end to to be a little more solid well it does but none of these injuries appear to be long term in fact there was hope that Chernak might be able to play tonight I think that is looking less likely but the Lightning don't play again until Friday and if we stretch this out Greg the Lightning have only six games left before the All-Star break. Yes. And it's not really a condensed schedule, as we talked about yesterday. They get a fairly long break between the San Jose game, the end of the the, the road San Jose game, because they also play the Sharks at home before the All-Star break. But the Saturday game in San Jose, they don't play again until the Devils at home on Thursday. Then you have the All-Star break, and not to scoop our Julian Breezeby interview, but you know we did ask him about the February schedule like the olympic break schedule how is it going to affect the lightning and it sounds like according to julian they're just going to have the three games that they 
that they've had postponed. No additional games, which we can get into that on the other side. But what that means is they only play, if that is true, nine games between now and the end of February. So these guys are going to get a chance to get healthy. And then Coop kind of talked about this yesterday. He really would like to try and stay healthy best he can for the stretch run because the frequency of games will pick up once we get into March. But if you're going to have guys out, and based on where the Lightning are in the standings and the fact that they've done as much heavy lifting in terms of games played as certainly any team in the East and, and most teams in the league, they're in a pretty good spot to absorb additional or ongoing injuries on defense. Ruda took a, a maintenance day yesterday, so hopefully he'll be able to play. But if there's no Chernak and no Bogosian, we might see Andre Schuster slot back in, which he has had to do when the Lightning have had some injuries on the right side. And we have seen Sergachev play the right side too. And we've seen Sergachev right? play the right side, but he would be one of the, the five healthy Correct. at this point. Correct. So some juggling. And I, look, I, I don't think it's anything this team can't overcome. And you actually bring up a good point. And I, again, we taped Julian yesterday. I wanted to ask him this question. We didn't get to it because we only had so much time. That a lot has been made, Dave, about the Lightning playing a ton of hockey over the last two years. And I forget what that number exactly is, but it's it's been well documented. And Chief brings it up routinely when we're talking about the Lightning and, and going for a three-peat and everything they've had to deal with. But I'm also wondering, too, the times they've had off and the times they will have off coming up here and some of the injuries to key players, if in a roundabout way, that is going to make them a little fresher than we originally thought. Look, you have surgery, you're banged up and you miss some time, your body has taken a beating. I'm not going to say that you know, you're going to feel 100% coming off those injuries or surgeries. But I, I think it's fair to say that after you rehab, after you have some time off, you're feeling pretty good. And, you know, Kucherov is not going to have, Dave, the wear and tear of an 82-game season this year when they enter the playoffs. Either will Braden Point, either will Eric Chernak, and even to a lesser extent, Vassy, who I think is going to play the same amount of games he probably was scheduled to play, but because of the way the schedule was playing out, he is going to be getting some time off that may be beneficial to him in the postseason, maybe I'm reaching for something. Maybe I'm I'm stretching the truth a bit there when it comes to how the Lightning will feel and trying to spin maybe a negative into a positive. But I, I do think there might be something to, especially the guys that have been injured and who have missed a considerable amount of time, that if their injuries are healed, that come playoff time and the way the schedule has worked out, that maybe it's a blessing in disguise that the Lightning might be able to get mm -hmm. some rest heading into the playoffs that they may that they wouldn't have otherwise received before. From a wear and tear standpoint. From a wear and tear, correct. Wear and tear, yes. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know if you like buy that. Have, you'd still like to have a healthy lineup. I think John Cooper would Absolutely. prefer that. No doubt. But if you want to look at the silver lining, I think there are a few silver linings. One is the wear and tear component. The other is more opportunities for players that if everyone was healthy maybe wouldn't be getting those opportunities and we've seen how some guys have thrived with greater responsibility and more opportunity so that should continue it should 
And I, I think, again, the one thing we've learned about this team is that you look at where they are in the standings as of today doing the show, and, and it's funny when we were asking Julian this question, tied for the best record in the Atlantic, in the Eastern Conference, and all of the NHL with 57 points. So they've done very well. They don't, mm-hmm. they don't need me to defend how they're going to navigate through the waters here when it comes to some injuries and, and the scheduling. But I, I think they've done a really nice job of figuring some things out. And, and, you know, I think we look forward to sharing that interview with our listeners. We did have some questions that came in after the show yesterday that maybe we can get into a little bit now and then we'll break and we'll get to Julian in our next segment. This comes from uh, Anthony. He said, it's really early for this talk, but I feel like the biggest problem we have come playoff time is not enough grind. We need to put a lot of pressure in the D zone and belly line can't do that. Sorelli can, Kulorin in some capacity. Kids line can grind, but do you trust them enough? And then he went on to say, which line would you put to defend against the Panthers in the playoffs? Who All are right. the scariest teams? Yeah, so those are two separate questions. I'm going to beg to differ with the grind question. The Belmar line is a grinding line. And I think Radish, Kachuk, and Colton, when they have done well, they have been able to grind. When we say grind, and I don't know if this is exactly what, was it Anthony who wrote it? Anthony, yes. A-N-T-O-N-E-Y, yes. Anthony, okay. (laughs) So what he was writing about grind, to me that means a team or a line that cycles and kind of keeps the puck down in the corners to behind the net to the top of the circles at the highest point, win a lot of puck battles. I don't think any team wants four lines that are identical and just like you don't want four kind of high skill lines because you do want to have some lines that can grind out shifts you don't want four lines that are going to grind exclusively as well so i think the lightning have a mix i think that they have they have gotten more of a beaten potatoes aspect to their overall team personality over the last couple of years now if he's saying who is going to be the matchup line against Barkov's line or Austin Matthews' line or Bergeron's line, pick a team in the Atlantic that the Lightning might see in the playoffs. And how are you going to deal with that? They don't have the Yanni Gord line that was used, not exclusively in that regard, but extensively. I don't have an answer for that. That may change based on the opponent. And, and what that opponent's top line can do. Because there's a difference between how, let's say, Barkov's line plays and maybe Bergeron's line. So how are you going to combat that? But we've seen Sorelli in a matchup situation. We've seen Point in his career in a matchup situation. Occasionally, we've seen Belmar's line in a matchup situation. But... I think you're right. That's actually, why the Yanni Gord line was, was so great. unique. No doubt. No doubt. And so special and so critical to the Lightning's back to back cup wins. So you're going to have to find a different way to fill that part of what the Gord line did. But I don't agree that the Lightning don't have players that can grind 
out shifts when he said defensive zone. He means the Lightning's offensive zone, I'm guessing, and and force the other team to to basically chase the puck and, and work in the corners. It's hard to defend against a line that grinds. Well, and there's I think- a lot of physical exertion that goes into that, as opposed to let's say Point Kucherov and Plot, where you have to exert skating wise because often you're chasing all over the place. So I will answer it this way because I agree with everything you said when it comes to what the Lightning may or may not do in a situation like that. I think we've often said, first and foremost, Anthony, the Lightning don't have the same players to make up a third line as the Lightning had last year with the Yanni Gord line. I mean, that was a unique skill set. They may be just as effective, but probably in a different way. And what I mean by that is, you know, Belmar, Maroon, and Perry, let's assume that is your third line. They are way different, I think, than Coleman, Goodrow, and, and Gord. Agreed. I actually think, come playoff time, because if you're asking the third line, and I'm using this as an example, to go out and defend the other team's top line. When you say third line, you mean the Belmar line. The Belmar line, correct. Yeah. I should I should preface it by saying the Belmar line. With Maroon and Perry. With Maroon and Perry. The one thing that that Gord line had that I'm not sure this line has is pretty decent speed from top to bottom. And it's not to knock Corey Perry or Pat Maroon, but let's face it, I don't think they're as fast as the three guys that made up that line. I think Belmar can skate, obviously, very well. It's one of his strengths. You know, Perry and Maroon, they're... Uh, they're not as fleet of foot, but that's never been their game. But I do think if you ask them to go chase a first line around for a full playoff series, I'm not sure that's fair to them. I'm not saying the Lightning would do that. Mm-hmm. I actually think in that environment, the Sorelli line makes the most sense, but now you are taking away some of their abilities to be productive offensively if you're asking them for the sole purpose of just preventing goals now it doesn't that may have be the to case. be that way though like it I doesn't think have it has to. to be that way gord's line was productive offensively so the, they the best way to defend against the top line is to make that top line and the other team play defense and if you're forcing them to play defense then presumably you have a chance to score no doubt now i will i will ask you this because you said the sorelli line like we don't really know what the sorelli line will be we've talked about this we like talked about we, the six forwards, if we're in agreement we yeah like the the six forwards are probably going to comprise the top two lines if it's point Pilat and kucherov which is what we saw in the playoffs which is what i think that will be the last couple of years then you're talking right. about stamp ghost Kalorn, and sorelli correct but it doesn't have to be that way and john cooper might mix things up like you start a series he may and if things don't go well then you make adjustments he may and, but and, i like sorelli in that role I think Sorelli is a guy that can defend, but also can produce at the same time. And, and so that, and I think we're in agreement there. I, I think I would probably, st- to your point, I would probably start it that way, a playoff series. I would make the Sorelli line, whoever that is, but I would have Sorelli obviously as the centerman because I think defensively, very solid. In addition, if it's if it happens to be Klorin and Stamkos, I think at this point, very responsible players. I think their skating can keep up with whatever they have to go against regarding the other team. So I think we're in agreement there. Could John Cooper switch that up? Absolutely. What I'm just saying is I don't know if I would give that responsibility if the fourth, if the Colton line, Dave, is Kachuk and Radish 
with Colton. I don't know if I would give them that responsibility right off the bat. And this is kind of where I just don't know the answer. Was getting a guy, even though they let him go because of players coming back and maybe some cap issues, um, when you take a look at Riley Smith, when they did pick him up, or Riley Nash, I'm sorry, when they did pick him up, did that give us an idea of what maybe they wanted to do? Was that something they were thinking of long-term that, you know, all right, in the playoffs, we could have a guy like that who can skate and is defensively responsible. That could be part of the matchup in the playoffs, assuming everything came together the way I'm describing, which oftentimes it does not. It, this probably works itself out, and maybe at the trade deadline we get a, a clearer picture. But if you're asking me, Anthony, and, and you kind of were, like, uh, I don't know if it's going to come down to the Belmar line being that, stout defensive line in the playoffs it may if you're asking me I think it would probably be whoever is playing with Anthony Sorelli and that's how I would answer that to start and obviously there are some variables there Dave that we we're not taking into consideration because we don't have the answers to we don't know the team we don't know the makeup of the Lightning's team at that point whether it's injuries or whether they they brought in a few players who knows I know cap issues would prevent them possibly from really doing something like that but who knows so there are some variables there that we we can't account for because we don't know but I would think the way this roster is currently constructed if you had to ask me who would start out doing something like that in the playoffs it would be whoever is on Anthony Sorelli's line and that's how I would answer that question yeah and you know people can agree to disagree and that's fine but I'll close. I'll close it with this comment yeah. too. So if if Anthony doesn't want to agree with me <laughs> or you, I would recommend that he find the clip of Daryl Sutter talking about the Lightning when the Flames came in before the game, because a lot of people who cover the Flames, other than maybe watching the Lightning, if they watch the Lightning in the playoffs the last two years had a notion of the lightning that Sutter wanted to disavow them of. Yes. I don't know if you heard the clip, Greg, but what he said was, you know, people think of the lightning. I'm paraphrasing Sutter, who is a very direct speaker, but not a man of many words, but the words that he uses usually carry a lot. He's not, he's not eloquent, but he's direct. Correct. He's very direct. (laughs) So I'm probably going to be a little more flowery in the words I use because that's the way my brain works. But I'm translating basically what he said. He said, like, if you think the Lightning are this fancy team and that's it, you're wrong. To win back-to-back cups, they play hard hockey. And that's a compliment. Right. That's a big-time compliment. That's Daryl Sutter hockey. (laughs) Like, that's – I think he he has a lot of respect for how the Lightning – have have done it the last couple of years and he also talked about their skill but he he mentioned that it was a mix and he wasn't to anthony's point like he wasn't just saying this is the way they were the last two years and they're no longer this way it's like this is the way they play they have big strong guys that go to the net and maybe that's not exactly what anthony meant when he talked about quote-unquote grinding but that's part of it Lightning are a hard opponent to face. That's coming from the opposition and not just because they can dazzle you with their speed and skill. And they're probably really frustrating to play against because you deal with the skills 
of the elite players they have. And as we said, they're they're scattered throughout the lineup. It could be Kucherov, one night points, Stamkos, it could be Hedman. Mm-hmm. And then you've of course you have Vasilevsky and his his skill sets, Dave, trying to beat him in a seven game series, which is proven to be very difficult, obviously, the last two years. But then you have enough grit to complement the skill. But their skill guys can also play a gritty game. And I think this is kind of that buy-in and the leadership that we've seen over the last couple of years. These guys have done a, almost a complete 180 with the mindset that if we have a 3-1 lead, let's keep it 3-1. Mm-hmm. And let's not chase the fourth or fifth goal. So to Sutter's point, it's almost like the Lightning, this is what you get when you have a complete team. They can almost beat you in any certain way. But come playoff time, a team that is traditionally, when you look at the Lightning, very skilled, the last two years they have shown they can be a very elite team defensively and that's not something a lot of other teams in this league can say and I think that's probably why you know guys like Sutter will look at them and say you know they they're really gritty and they're really hard to play against and then you complement that with the skill that they have you can see why the Lightning I think are still you know a dark horse favorite if you even want to say that just because the odds are, are probably not with them percentage-wise to three peep but I, I think that's why a lot of people just they, they can't discount the fact that they they are a team that has a very good chance of doing that and we'll wait and see how it all plays out but I think it's a good point uh, before we get to Julian Brisois and he will be joining us we taped him yesterday uh, Al said Bogosian hurt again this was the reason that Buffalo gave up on him he was always hurt not dependable is a time to move him out well out and I, I kind of wrote this back to you yesterday um, he had he's had some injury issues in the past, but I, I don't know if if moving him makes the most sense. I mean, eventually you're going to get him back. I mean, if Lighting want to address depth on their back end, assuming they can fit that player onto their roster cap wise, I think Julian will look at all options. But I think when Bogosian mm-hmm. has played, he's been very successful. He's uh, had a very he's on a very team friendly deal too. I know it's three yeah. years, but what does he make? Eight fifty. Right, so even if he was like your sixth or seventh defenseman the next couple of years, or even this year, it's not killing your cap. And so I think you look at it risk-reward. When he's in the lineup and he's healthy, I think he's a top six defenseman, and he brings a physical style to play, and you feel pretty good about where you are. If he's not in the lineup, I think you have enough depth to overcome that loss, and you're not paying him a ton where it's really hindering your ability to do some other things. So... No, I, I don't think they're going to move on from him. I think it's unfortunate. But listen, you can't cover all your bases in today's NHL with the way the cap is. You take a risk on a player like Bogosian knowing he's got some injury problems, but you also know you have a history with him in a positive way, mm-hmm. winning a Stanley Cup. So I, I, I think you take the good with the bad. You know, And we're not talking about a top-four defenseman, Dave, realistically. We're talking about a guy who's going to fill out the back end or maybe even be your seventh defenseman. And I think there are just risks that come with those signings. There's also positives, and you deal with it. It's also like, what are the injuries? So it's true that he has had some serious injuries at points in his career. I'm looking at his game-by-game through his career. In the 17-18 season with Buffalo, he only played 18 games. But you know, he played every game with the Lightning that he could There were some games that he didn't play coach's decision in the 2020 playoffs, but he played 20 of them. And that was a season in which he was coming off an injury 
because he only played 19 games with the Sabres. But since the trade, if we're talking about since the trade, he basically played every game that he was put into the lineup for. It wasn't due to injury that he didn't play occasionally, but he played more, way more than he didn't with the Lightning in their 2020 run. And then last year in Toronto, he played 45 games. So he missed 11. I don't, I confess, I don't know why he missed those 11, but that's still in way more than not for Toronto. He played every playoff game for them. So I would say the last couple of years, he stayed healthy. This year has been tough. I mean, the the injury on opening night was from blocking a shot. That's happened to Chernak, and it's happened to McDonough. Yep. I confess I didn't really notice anything wrong with him in the game against Dallas. He played almost 20 minutes. That is correct. And it's not a long-term absence. It's not expected. No, he'll be back. Expect to be two to three weeks. And, and you know, listen, you know, not that they would have anyways, but the Lightning don't have to rush these guys back either. I mean, they are winning games. Yeah. I don't think anybody's looking at it and saying the Lightning aren't going to make the playoffs this year, even though they're, you know, 40 games into the season. I understand there's a lot of hockey left to be played, but, I mean, I think we give them the benefit of the doubt that, you know, they're a team that'll figure this thing out when it comes to the injuries and still playing some pretty good hockey. So you don't have to rush guys like this back. You understand the pros and cons with a, a Zach Bogosian. The pros outweigh the cons for sure. And, you know, as Dave said, every injury is probably a, a bit different. And I think you have to look at that reasonably and say, okay, when he comes back, he'll be part of the team. And you just you move on from there. But like I said before, I don't mm-hmm. know if you can address every single issue for a team uh, with the cap. And, you know, there are certain risks you take with certain players as you fill out your roster and – Look, Andre Schuster, reliable defenseman who can come in and play a few games. It, it, would you feel comfortable if he was in your top four? No, probably not. But if he's your seventh or eighth defenseman that can come in and play, that's what we call decent depth. And yeah. he'll be called upon to use that at some point here, um, maybe even tonight. All right, Julian Brisois, we had a chance to catch up with him yesterday. We are going to play that interview for you when we return He's Dave Michigan. I am Greg Linelli. It's Tampa Bay in L.A. tonight. Pre-game will start at 10. The puck drops at 10.30. And you can listen to it right here on Lightning Power Play. Hey, it's Seth Kushner from the Block Party, and we have been on a roll this year, and it keeps on going with the return of Ben Bishop. Bish, please, on the Block Party this week. I talked to Ben about any residuals he's received from his Bish, please shirts, what it was like in his final season with 2017 when he knew he was getting shipped out, what it was like when he got traded to the Bolts, and what retirement's been like for him so far. It's the Block Party with Seth Kushner featuring Ben Bishop wherever you get your podcasts. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. All right, glad you're with us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. I am Greg Linelli along with Dave Mishkin. Steve Ersnick is our producer. Again, he's set for the game tonight. But as we said before, we had a chance to catch up with Lightning General Manager Julian Brisois yesterday. He was gracious enough to give us a few minutes and we had uh, a number of uh, questions to ask him. He answered them all, and we wanted to play that for you right now on Lightning Power Play. All right, joining us right now, he is the general manager of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Let's welcome to the show Julian Breezewa. Julian, 
thanks for coming on. We always appreciate it. 40 games in as of this taping. You guys are tied for first in the division, Eastern Conference, and the whole league. Big picture, are you a bit surprised with how well your team has done to this point considering the injuries, schedule issues, and roster turnover you've had to deal with from where Dave and I sit? It feels like you guys haven't missed a beat. I'd say I'm I'm pleased. Uh, we, we did have... Well, first of all, going into the season, as is the case most most seasons, what you want is to try to bank as many points as possible in the first half of the season to kind of set yourself up to to to, to qualify for a, a playoff position in the second half of the season. And so, going into the season, we had that on our minds, and we knew that one of the challenges uh, to us accomplishing that was going to be integrating all these new players, especially all the new forwards. Um, so. You know, we've we've kind of gone through that adjustment period, uh, and now we're at the halfway point, and we've done a, a fairly good job of, of, you know, putting points in the bank, uh, putting ourselves in a position where we can uh, focus on, on solidifying a playoff spot and getting ready for the playoffs in the second half of the season here. So, I, I'm I'm pleased with where we are right now in the standings, uh, and then when you factor in that. Uh, Nikita Kucherov only played a handful of games, and Braden Point missed think, 14 games, and uh, Zach Bogosian and Eric Chernak missed uh, about half our games, as did uh, Cal Foot. Then I think it 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 becomes a little more impressive uh, what we've been a- able to accomplish in the first half, and it uh, it goes to show the the maturity of our group, uh, the leadership group in particular amongst the players and the coaches, uh, our players know what we're trying to accomplish here, they know what's expected of them, and they know what they need to do on a, on a daily basis in order to be able to play at a high level consistently. So that's kind of my take on, on, on our first half of the season and what we've been able to accomplish thus far. Julian, beyond clinching a playoff spot in the second half, what specific things are you looking for? What are you looking to see from your team in the second half? Well, uh, obviously, you just mentioned uh, making sure we, we do solidify a playoff spot and then uh, continuing to improve our play in general. Uh, we want to make sure that we continue to build on what we've done so far in terms of uh, working on chemistry and, and, and uh, execution so that we are at our best uh, come playoff time. Uh, in particular, I think two areas where I expect us to do better, and I certainly want us to do better in the second half, is on the power play and, and on the penalty kill, where we haven't had the, the results that we have grown accustomed to. Uh, and I think there's a myriad of reasons why that is. Uh, but I, I do believe that, you know, if, with all our guys coming back now being healthy and Cooch and Point being back uh, to, to contribute regularly on the power play in particular, uh, Eric Cernak, uh, you know, hopefully being healthy in the second half of the season here, he'll certainly help our, our penalty kill. Uh, I think, I think that we are going to trend in the right direction in those two areas, and that's what I expect, to be honest. Julian Breezewat joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Julian, I'm wondering, since you've been part of the Lightning organization, have your views changed on how you look at the regular season and what you want to get out of it from a team perspective? Uh, I, I think every season, every team's different, right? You, you're at different, uh, you're, different teams are at a different place in terms of their their winning cycle. Uh, 
uh, when 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 Steve and I and Jeff Bennett kind of came in in 2010, we were uh, in a position where we were we had to build our program uh, and you know put in place uh, the people and, and and the standards and the expectations uh, so that we could eventually aspire to winning a Stanley Cup and uh, be in a position where legitimately year in year out we were a Stanley Cup contender. And that took a certain amount of time. So obviously at that point, our expectations for the regular season were different than they are now 12 years later where uh, we go into the 2021-22 season. We've just won two Stanley Cups. Our expectations are obviously different at this point. And, uh, and obviously that kind of uh, tints what you're looking for during the regular season. Uh, with the team and the players that we have uh, as well, we, we know... We are going into this season as uh, one of the teams that can legitimately aspire to winning the Stanley Cup in 2022, and we want to make the most of that opportunity because it's not every year that you're going to be in a position to uh, contend for the Cup, and when that's the case, you want to make sure you put your best foot forward. Julian, I wanted to ask you specifically about four players, Taylor Radish, Boris Kachuk, Cal Foot, and Ross Colton. The first two made their NHL debuts this year. The other two came to the NHL last year, and of course, Colton had had the deep run in the playoffs. Have you gotten what you wanted from these players in terms of their progression from where you were at the start of the year for the first two getting used to the NHL and for Colton and Foot progressing in their second NHL seasons? I would say the answer to that is yes. We wanted those players to be able to contribute to the team's success and help us win hockey games, and they've done that. At the same time, they're still young players. They're still in development, um, and, and there's still, I, I believe, untapped potential for all four of them. I, I think they'll continue to be, to, to uh, improve their level of play and, and their consistency as they gain uh, experience and, and maturity. Uh, but based on what I've seen so far, I am happy with what those four players have been able to provide us, and I'm optimistic that going forward, uh, they're only their contributions are going to grow, uh, and they're going to become a bigger a part of the team's success. You know, going forward. Julian, how difficult do you think it's going to be, particularly at the trade deadline, to make some moves when the salary cap for the league in the next couple of years has maybe come into question with recent postponements of games and basically what's happened the previous two years? Does it limit? you and the type of trade you could make or if there's a deal out there you'll find a way to get it done the uh revenue projections and cap uh projections the salary cap projections they'll mostly impact us in the upcoming off season uh, and decisions that are we're gonna have to make at that point if i'm looking at the upcoming trade deadline here uh that's coming up on march 21st the challenge there is our current cap situation. <laughs> the current cap uh, is set at $81.5 million, uh, where essentially we went into the season, we had opportunities to uh, increase our odds of being successful last offseason by uh, signing some free agents, and, and we did that at the time, whether they were Zach Bogosian and Brian Elliott, uh, but certainly. Uh, uh, Pierre Edouard Belmar and Corey Perry, and I say certainly because uh, we needed a, a backup goaltender, so we had to sign someone and, and, and fill that role. So 
you know, Brian Elliott was the best candidate for, for the position and we were luckily uh, able to sign him. We were in need of a defenseman uh, based on what we had on our reserve list, someone that could come in and play regularly in the NHL for us. And we were fortunate enough to get Zach Bogosian to agree to uh, rejoin our organization. Um, we could have gone with the fours that we had in our organization on our reserve list. But we had the opportunity to add Corey Perry and Pierre Belmar, and we decided to do that. And when when I decided to do that, I knew I was essentially taking away my ability to probably do something at the trade deadline because now I'm out of cap flexibility. Uh, we've used up all our cap space. If I go back the last two trade deadlines um, in 2020, uh, prior to the start of the season, we were able to trade Ryan Callahan's contract, and that created a little bit of cap space that we could uh, use, and it would accrue over the course of the season leading up to the trade deadline. That that little bit of space is what allowed us to go out and acquire Barkley Goodrow and Blake Coleman and fit them onto our, our team and, and fit them under the cap. Last season, we didn't have any... Uh, cap space, but we had two players that we could send down, um, Cal Foot and Luke Shen, because Luke had cleared waivers at that point. We could send them down without you know, risking losing them on waivers, so that created a little bit of cap space. And then we were able to get Columbus and Detroit to essentially fund uh, the acquisition of uh, David Savard. Uh, this year, we don't we have even less flexibility because we don't have anyone that we can send down to the minors without them requiring waivers, and none of our players would clear waivers, so we would essentially be losing a player for nothing. Uh, or we can include that player in a trade. But when I look at the players we have right now, uh, they're all good players providing really good value uh, based on, on their respective cap hits. For a trade to make sense, I would have to move one of our players for a player whose cap hit is the same, is more bang for the buck. And that's an unlikely uh, scenario right now. Well, Julian, as you know, neither Greg nor I have ever been a general manager. And our listeners may feel they could be a general manager, but none of them have ever been, to the best of my knowledge, an NHL general manager. I'm just wondering, like, as a general manager, how do you prepare for the trade deadline, even one in which you know that your flexibility is very limited? Well, it's a team effort, obviously. It's not uh, ultimately uh, the decision lies with me, but uh, I am very fortunate to be uh, surrounded by people that are very knowledgeable and work hard and are really good at what they do. And uh, whether that's our coaching staff, uh, players, uh, obviously our, our pro scouting uh, department, um, Jamie Pusher, Stacey Roost, Al Murray, Matthew Darge. Uh, so we've had meetings. Um, well, this past week we had all of our amateur scouts in for a few days of uh, meetings surrounding the upcoming amateur draft. Uh, and then we had our pro scouts come in and we've had we had a number of uh, days where we met to go over possible scenarios for the trade deadline, but also, um, you know, uh, starting to get ready for free agency for next offseason. Uh, I've talked to the coaches and, and do so on, on a daily basis, but we, we, we've had uh, uh, meetings of late uh, to discuss the team uh, now that we've kind of hit the midway point here and I wanted to evaluate our team and, and you know, look areas where maybe we could, we would do that. Uh, there are possible solutions internally. So and it's an ongoing thing. 
uh, you know, last week we had formal meetings, but I will continue to be in in conversation with those people in, in the coming days and coming. Uh, our job is to do due diligence on any possible opportunity to improve our odds of being successful, and, and that's what we're going to do. And if an opportunity presents itself that I feel increases our odds of, of winning a Stanley Cup this year, then I will uh, gladly make that decision to, 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 to go ahead with that uh, and take advantage of that opportunity. Julian, last question on my end. Through your experience, how many games in general does a player need to have under his belt at the NHL level to let you know what type of player he'll be in the league? I think every player is different, and I think some positions also take longer. Uh, I think goaltenders usually would, t- I would say, uh, would tend to require more time. Uh, defensemen would probably require more time. Uh, centermen would probably require more time. Uh, and then, probably lastly, the, the wingers uh, would also need some time, but maybe not as much uh, as the other positions. So I'd probably have them in that order. Goalies take longest, defensemen second longest, then centermen, and then wingers. And even within those, you know, uh, generalities, it's still a case-by-case basis. Some players, uh, you know, are ready as soon as they got drafted. Uh, Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid, but there are very few of those players out there. Uh, and then other players, by the time maybe they're 20, they're ready to uh, help an NHL team uh, and be a contributor right away, like uh, Braden Point uh, or Sergachev, who uh, was ready to contribute uh, when he was 19. Uh, but other players are going to take longer. Yanni Good was one of those players. I think he probably made it to the NHL. He was probably around 25. So it is a case-by-case basis. Uh, and even once you've made it onto an NHL team and you are a contributor, uh, there's usually still growth, you know, opportunity for growth, and you continue to, to, to hopefully improve, and the role you have at that point uh, is maybe just a starting point, and a couple of years later, you're, you're ready to play an even bigger role on that team. So it really, it really varies from player to player and situation to situation. Last one for me, Julian. Uh, what is your sense about when we're going to hear about the February schedule during the Olympic break and how many games might the Lightning be looking at during that window? Well, as of now, we're looking at three games. We've had three games uh, postponed so far, uh, one against uh, Arizona, one against Colorado, and one against New Jersey. They're all road uh, games. Uh, Those are the only three that I anticipate having uh, on the schedule during the February, what was going to be the February break, which is no longer (laughs) a break. I do feel for the NHL, it is incredibly challenging what uh, they've, putting a schedule together for for 32 teams and and trying to schedule 82 games for all of those teams is uh, a big challenge under the best circumstances. Trying to do it mid-course while games are going on and, and buildings are already booked and uh, everyone's schedule is somewhat already in place uh, is incredibly challenging. Uh, and unfortunately, the league is still dealing with some COVID cases uh, and some games requiring to be postponed uh, still. Um, so uh, I know a couple weeks ago, it sounded like the league was ready to make some announcements. Uh, and then, you know, there were more cases and more games postponed and that so... Our, our schedule was uh, put off a little bit, uh, and that's happened actually a couple times since then. So I'm hoping that soon we're in a position to officialize a schedule uh, and make uh, make that uh, official uh, and public. 
Uh, I don't know when that will be, but we are in communication with the league, and it is a little bit of a moving target. Uh, those three games have been we've 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 been uh, told that they would be on certain dates, and then a few days later that's changed, and a few days later it's changed again. It's just it's uh, it's an ongoing process for the league, and, and a little bit of a moving target uh, right now. But I don't anticipate that we are going to have more than three games uh, to make up and to play during those three weeks in February. Julian, I know it's a busy time for you. Thank you for giving us some time here on the show. We'll do it again down the road, and uh, best of luck. Thanks again. Thank you. Always a pleasure, gentlemen. All right. Julian Breezewell, we taped that up on Monday, and he was very gracious with his time. And, uh, Dave, I thought we got some some good answers out mm-hmm. of the Lightning general manager when it came to maybe the schedule and you know what they're thinking at the trade deadline with – you know, cap flexibility or maybe lack thereof. But, uh, you know, it, it sounded like all in all, he's very pleased. And how couldn't you be with how the, the season has transpired right now? And still, what, 42 games left to see how this plays out in the regular season. But what were your, what were your takeaways from that interview? Yeah, there were a few. So let's start at the end because I think we were wondering about what the Lightning's schedule would look like during this. I'll call it the Olympic break. It's not a break anymore, but. It's the window of time when the Olympics are going to be taking place just without NHL players. Based on what Julian was saying, the Lightning are going to have those three games and that's it. Because we were wondering, is it possible they could get other games moved up with the league kind of throw the rest of the schedule into a blender to make it work? And what I took from that, Greg, was this is a hard enough task for the league to reschedule all the games that they've already postponed that I think they're inclined just to leave the rest of the schedule intact. So if you have to make up 10 games, you're going to make up as many of those games as possible during the two and a half, three week window. Or if you're like the lightning and you only have three, you're going to play three and that's it. So that's what we should expect, which is why I said the lightning basically until the end of February, if that's the case, they're going to have only nine games. So they're going to have a pretty open window here over the next whatever it is, five weeks. The other thing that... Let me ask you this before you move on to your point. I was going to say, do you get the sense, like, how they would cluster those games? If you had to guess, do you think the... You're talking about the Lightning games? Yeah, the Lightning games. Well, the Colorado-Arizona games probably are going to be on the same trip. I was going to say, can you knock that that out? That New Jersey game is going to be like at the other end of the break, either at the beginning or the end, and, and the Lightning will get some off time in the middle, or if they're going to somehow put those three games close to each other, and then the Lightning are going to get a longer break the rest of the right. time. And again, it's unclear, will those three games happen like right after the All-Star break, or will they happen closer to the end of this window? And Julian said they've already been told several dates that have been moved. So... Gotcha. He's right when he said he doesn't envy the job the league has. They have to work around building availability as well, figure out what they're doing with these Canadian teams that you know, they intentionally put off some home games so they could try and get some gate revenue. And they have to try and set a schedule here without knowing if some of these Canadian markets are going to be taking partial fans, no fans, full fans. Not easy. That's for sure. The other thing that that I will bring up, and this was something that we talked about briefly yesterday, because you asked the question, 
what is the difference this year as opposed to last year or the year before where the Lightning seemingly never have any cap space but still make deals. The difference is, and he spelled this out, in the 2020 year, the, the trade deadline in 2020, the Lightning had created some space by moving the Ryan Callahan contract to Ottawa. So they saved... They saved some some space, I guess, by not having Callahan on long-term injury. Last year, while Kucherov was on long-term injury, and they were they were over the cap in terms of the long-term injury, and I still don't completely understand how this is possible, but clearly it is possible because he just said it. Yeah. They were able to create a little bit of room by sending Cal Foote, who was waiver-exempt, and Luke Shen, who cleared waivers— and therefore could go up and down between the taxi squad and the NHL team, they could move those guys on a daily basis, basically, to give themselves just enough room to make the Savard deal, but they also needed help from Columbus and Detroit to pick up three-quarters of his remaining salary. So they didn't have much room, but they were very creative to maximize every dollar. Yeah. It sounds like this year they don't have that option. Well, more than sounds like they don't have that option. They, so that's you why cannot saying, send a waiver exempt player yes. to the taxi squad, and we haven't had the taxi squads for much of the year. It's only been, you know, in the last few weeks. So that's, that's why. Does that mean good. that it's impossible? No, which is right. kind of why I was wondering how he prepares for the trade deadline. Which Steve texted me during the interview. He said, "You know, do you say you saying Jay Feaster doesn't listen to the show?" I apologize if there are any former NHL general managers or current NHL general managers who might be listening to our program and thinking how they would do a trade deadline. I had no idea, though. Like, how do you even prepare for something like this? And he prepares the same way, whether he has flexibility or not, because some of the information that they get may be helpful down the road, either for an offseason move or maybe next year. Who knows? But they're going to still do their due diligence. They're going to go through all the steps they normally go through so they are prepared for the trade deadline. It just sounds like it's going to be extremely unlikely that they're going to be able to make a move, which we spelled out. Like he's going to have to probably – it would probably involve taking a player off the NHL roster to add somebody else. And is that going to be a net positive for your team? And you know how I laid that out yesterday. I felt like, and I didn't give any names, that if, if there was somebody who could upgrade your team more so than who you had going back in the trade, I would do that, even if it was for a short-term rental, which it sounds like it would be. But I think right. that's something we've seen Julian do. Now, but it couldn't again, be a prospect. No, like no, no. It has to be somebody off the roster. It's not going to help with a prospect oh, or yeah, draft yeah. pick. It has Listen, to be somebody off your NHL roster. When we get a little closer, maybe, maybe I'll reveal that, but I, I am okay with that. I am okay with somebody being on your roster uh, within reason if you upgrade – a certain position and you better your team to win a cup now because as right. we know that's exactly what his mindset is and I think that is the mindset you need to have as a general manager and he's been very good at doing that. So those were those were the yeah. two things that I mentioned. I mean there was more in there. Was there anything that you wanted to No, I mean I, I think you know I I thought the the answers he gave to the the topics we just discussed were interesting. You know, how many games does it take for somebody to feel comfortable before you make a, a pretty good read on what they are 
as a player. It was interesting how he mentioned the winger maybe mm-hmm. less less time to develop at the NHL level in terms of games than the other positions, but you know, that's neither here nor there. Um game tonight, let's talk about it for a couple of minutes here before we sign off. Kings. Yeah. You know, Laney kept seeing teams in Tampa that were coming <laughs> off poundings. Yes. At the hands of the Panthers. So they see the Kings tonight. They didn't play the Panthers, but they were in San Jose yesterday afternoon. They gave up six goals, five to Timo Meyer. How about that? They weren't. I mean, I guess if you lose 6-2 and it was 6-1 going into the third, you would say, yeah, we got hammered. But shots were 41-17 to Kings. So it almost felt like when the game was getting out of hand, it was like the Kings were applying all this pressure and then the Sharks would come down and just score a goal. They would. They would. And look at the box score for San Jose, by the way. That's pretty fun. Just watching Timo's name just pop up. He's having a heck of a year. Yeah. He's been good. Um, I, I actually like the Kings team. Yeah, I, I don't know if yeah. they're a playoff team. I, no I, Kempe. I like He's on the COVID list. That's a good point. Uh, Kopitar, we know, is elite. And, you know, it's – I don't know who's going to be a net for them tonight, but we'll we'll see how that plays Quick out. Quick play but. the whole game yesterday. Yeah, so. And, I mean, it was, it was 6-1 heading into the third. It was yeah. 4-1 after one. So if they were going to make a goalie switch, you figure it would have happened earlier in the game. And they didn't. He played the full 60. So we'll see. We'll have the pregame starting at 10. And you'll hear a, a little bit more from Julian throughout the broadcast. Yeah, tonight. late face-off. Steve face just off. advised me that the yeah. Kings have some kind of pregame ceremony and a ceremonial puck drop. Why wouldn't they? Thanks a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll thanks a lot we'll for here. us. We'll be, yeah, Back on the gonna... East Coast. Hey, get By the way, I do want to mention one yeah. thing, Greg, before we break. Yeah, go ahead. And say say goodbye until later on tonight. Now I'm not traveling with the team as as we've talked about, so I did not know that they just left for LA yesterday, which is a change. Interesting. Eric asked Coop about that after they had a practice here in Tampa yesterday. Why they decided to go the day before as opposed to two days before, which has been as long as this current management team has been in place talking about Breezebaugh and Iserman before him yeah with Julian as the assistant GM well certainly since Rick Bonus came in I think they started it when when Bones came in as an associate coach so the 2013-14 season and Bones had so much experience traveling around the NHL and going from west to east and east to west he recommended the extra day if you could do it if you had the extra day go out an extra day early to get acclimated it has been lockstep the lighting have done that every trip but they didn't do it this time and coop basically said we want to just give them an extra day in in their own beds which makes sense but we'll see we'll see if if not leaving on sunday has any kind of effect on how they look tonight we'll find out we'll find out in a few hours we'll have the game call and then we'll recap it tomorrow Noon to one. Great job, partner. We'll talk to you in a little bit. All right. Talk to you in a bit. Get that nap. Steve Erstink, thank you, buddy, too. Get your nap in. I may get a nap. Who knows? We'll see how it plays out. And uh, we'll be with you again tomorrow, noon to one, to break it all down. But don't forget, pregame tonight starts at 10 o'clock. Stay up with us throughout the night uh, if you can. You've been listening to Lightning Power Play.